Hey everybody, it's Wade here, and welcome to the ROA Remix. Yep, it's finally gotten around to be my turn. Uh, you may not have heard me last week. I saw Hugh, I was in... You saw Hugh, or maybe you heard him talk about whatever that last episode was called. Uh, this is my first one on the ROA feed here. Anyways, so we're talking about Babel, huh? All right. Um... Not sure how the best way to jump into this. This is a new thing, talking to myself. I've got my uh, quote-unquote Brooklyn Podcast Studio box, and I'm set up in the bathroom because it's as far away from the baby as I could get. So if it sounds different, that's why it is. Going into this, I don't know what we're doing. I guess this is like a commentary track for a podcast, which is an interesting or not, or, you know, maybe, maybe, yeah, it's, it's, it's really groundbreaking stuff we're doing here. And as you can't listen to a commentary while you're listening to a podcast at the same time, because that would be very annoying and jarring. Uh, you'll just have to listen to me ramble and then listen to the podcast and then uh, listen to me. I'll get some commentary at the end. Uh, but if you've listened to enough of these, you you know the drill, you know how it works. I hope it's entertaining enough what we're doing here. I hope, like, I always get in my mind the worst commentary track ever was William Friedkin did a commentary track to The Exorcist where it's just him going, yep, it's fall, and uh, just describing the action. And she's really upset right there. Uh, the demon's yelling it now. And it's like, yes, I'm watching the damn movie. So maybe that'll be what I'm doing here, but I hope not. And again... We've probably said it every time. Boy, the sound is really, really something in these early episodes, ain't it? Yeah, so I'll let the podcast speak for itself for a little bit. Just, again, I know how the sound is. Especially in these ones, I'm recording from the inside of a box I'm trapped in. I guess I'm in a shoebox and it's a little bit echoey. I guess I'll just crawl under this box. And, you know, once you get in the groove, you kind of... Don't even think about it, maybe, if we're lucky. But I'm going to jump into this box. Y'all listen to Babble, our favorite episode of Deep Space Nine. And I'll talk to you again on the other side. All right. Aphasia virus. Secondary phase modulators. Oh, yeah. Lark's true pepper. Flame the dark true salt. Oh, yeah. Glass lunch. Judge a bin to let it in. Oh yeah, it's time for the plumes in mass decisions. Hello everybody and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition, a weekly weekly podcast where we will be going through every single episode <laughs> of the greatest television show in history, maybe or maybe not, but or a very really good Star Trek television series. Sorry, Enterprise. Uh, anyways, yeah, the rules of acquisition. That's what you're listening to. And with me, as always, is James Nolan. Hey, guys. And Hugh Crawford. Hello. Every, with every episode, it's getting harder and harder to say this is the best 20th century television show. Yeah, right. No, well, it, <laughs> it's important. It, eh, maybe not the best, but it, is it was yes. of its time and... Holds up pretty well as a artifact. And my name is Wade Bowen. Oh, yeah. And that's all of us. All right. And this week we were talking about uh, what episode? We're talking about Babel. Babel. Yes. We're talking about Babel, which was episode four of season one. It originally aired on January 24th, 1993. And the description goes for this episode, the crew and the civilian population of Deep Space Nine begin to speak gibberish when a plague and a phasia virus engineered by the Bajorans as a weapon against the Kardashians accidentally gets released into the station's atmosphere. That's what we're looking at for this week. (laughs) Fabulous. Mm -hmm. I feel like... uh, It's early on, and they wanted to establish that they had, what was that original series episode, The Naked Time or whatever, where everybody gets disease and goes crazy? Uh, Yes, yes. That's the one where, the famous one where Sulu plays with a sword. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
And the next generation version of that is the one where Data fucks Tasha Yar. <laughs> oh, right. Right. <laughs> Star Trek Deep Space Nine is a show with obligations. It, you know, it, it has to, they're, they're obligated to, they're obligated to do the, the weird shit happens in space motif of Star Trek. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but this time they do they try to like ham fisted job of tying it in with the overall arc of of this show. Isn't that about right? What do you guys think about that? Right. I think you're right. I think now that Gene Roddenberry's dead, they can do all these homages that they didn't do on Next Generation. <laughs> or they did the disease crazy naked time episode, but did they have like a mirror universe episode? Uh, spoilers that happens later in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, they do. And that's like a callback. They do a Tribbles. Oh, uh, yeah. Let's not even get into that. Uh, also, guys, I just I want to start off on something positive. The next episode is Captain Pursuit, which is a great Deep Space Nine episode. Okay. <laughs> so uh, just let's just hold on until next week. Yeah. Okay. So basically, this, <laughs> this episode starts and nothing on the on the station works. Basically, we learned that the station sucks. Yes. And being Chief O'Brien sucks because he's he's the one that's uh, responsible for fixing everything. Yes. Apparently, single handedly, he doesn't have a crew. He doesn't have anybody under him. Well, he does, but they looked like. Uh, did you see him when they were down in the pits working on something, and they just they looked at like hippies looking at a glow light. They were just like, <laughs> yeah. wow. They were just waving their little glow wands over like a light board and they were they were just distracted so he was so his crew is essentially miley cyrus (laughs) he's got to go do these things so yeah he's he's trying to fix he's out of his he's out of his depth a little mm, bit here he's a man alone yes he is he's a man alone (laughs) so is everyone on this station a man alone for themselves uh, Everyone except for Dax, who is a woman for the first time in 80 years. Right. Yeah, we got sex positive Dax back for an episode. We did get sex positive Dax back. We got her back for like two minutes. She actually starts talking yeah. about what it's like to be a woman again. And I thought, oh, mm-hmm. Dax gets to do something interesting for, for the first time in a while. And nope. <laughs> like just about that time, somebody comes down with their jibber jabber disease she just got her adari and button yeah. and then isn't that about right so so what did you guys think about this episode overall anything you want to unpack right away i want to unpack the biggest mystery of this whole episode what the hell did that hippie klingon have in his ship that was so damn important <laughs> the most boring person <laughs> on the station you mean <laughs> hey i have a boarding shipment. yes he's berating <laughs> yes what was his deal? What was his... Like, at some point, I thought that would be a plot point because he was so weird and pushy. And he was clearly, like, you know, a hippie Klingon. He was yelling at O'Brien in the teaser. They did it again. At each act, they went back to him. Right. And I know at the end, he leaves the ship. But at no point, there was like, why the, why the hell is this guy acting so irrationally? Yeah, they didn't explain that at all. That's just life on the station. People are pains in the ass. He had to be somewhere. <laughs> just be <laughs> He had all his crew stuck in a airlock for days or whatever. And he essentially, they just let that guy die. They made, like, no attempts to save him, did they? Oh, they no, did. they made no attempt. They tried, but he turned it, well, yeah, no, Odo pulls him out when he's the dumbass. Oh, oh, okay. Did and, I miss that twice? Yeah, yeah, like, they're like, they tried, we're trying to release the docking things, but he's got his engine on so the clamps won't release because he's pulling against them so much. Mm-hmm. So then they're like... Well, we're just going to blow the clamps up and just blow his ship away from the station so he doesn't take the station out with it. Yeah, but I didn't say that. Did, did Odo get him out of the ship before he did that? Yeah, he passed out. Or he, he okay. succumbed to the smoke inhalation conveniently right outside the little dock or whatever. Oh, or okay. okay. Clamps or whatever. And then, yeah, so Odo saves him. Okay, cool. And the ship blows it. Yeah, I don't got I don't got much to talk about on this episode. <laughs> so O'Brien um, seemed to get uh, the gibberish. He, he uh, seemed to get on my nerves a little bit. Did, uh, did what did uh, Kira do for you this time, James? Well, uh, I, on the gibberish, I have a little bit about the the writer actually goes into length on something that I saw online about how he wrote it, which is a little bit interesting to me. He actually, he first, he just started writing gibberish and he was like, this isn't working. 
And so then he wrote the whole screenplay with them actually saying – Because that's a lot of work. <laughs> no, he actually went through a lot more work. So yeah. he wrote the whole screenplay and wrote all of their lines out as what they thought they were saying. Yeah. And then and then broke that into like the traditional like how it metered. Oh, my God. And then wrote the, gibber, the, wrote the nonsense words in the same meter. Oh, okay. So it had to be like the words had to flow under the same sort of structure – as the words that whatever meter they would naturally use to say the whatever line, they had to write words that fit that meter. That makes sense. It's a pretty interesting way to do it because I guess not as interesting as throwing that paper in the trash and starting a whole new plot for Star Trek <laughs> when you're writing it. <laughs> I bet the actors were very happy to. Ha- oh, now I can think about my motivation while I act badly. Yeah, Iris Stephen Bayer, which I believe was a showrunner at this time, it was his story. I think so. I think it was like a pet store. He didn't normally write stories. He doesn't. It was his first writing credit. He doesn't have much afterwards. Oh, it's one he'd been holding on to when Gene Roddenberry said, no, that's dumb. And then Roddenberry dies and he can finally do the one that he wanted to do on Next Generation. This is the season where you can still tell that the Next Generation still kept the good ones. They still kept Brian Braga. They still kept... uh, the yeah the guy who wrote Deep Space Nine so they've still got the best at- writers writing their storylines so yeah this this oh boy this episode had some flow issues Kira was I guess she was fine yeah I really enjoyed Kira in this one so if I really enjoyed her I scale it back to she was fine for you <laughs> because she actually does something for the first time in like three Star Trek series that frustrates me to no end that the other Starfleet officers don't do, which is just transport somebody against their will. Oh, he just kidnaps a fucker, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And contaminates him. Right. No, I thought that was a baller move. I really, I I thought that was really cool. Mm. It was the most interesting. It's like, oh, she's not in Starfleet. She can do that kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah. By not being in Starfleet, she can operate outside the rules and, you know, really at Starfleet still benefit. Oh, that's true. She's not bound by... Any of that shit. Yeah, you're right. Which makes her more interesting than your average first officer in Starfleet. Yeah, and in fact, they should have crystallized that a little bit in the writing, where he was like, you can't do that, you can't kidnap a big cat. And she's like, I don't have to follow your Starfleet rules, you know? Right. And Right. Well, Cisco starts to be like, no, I'm not going to let you do that. Oh, and then Odo is like, get better letter. Or what if Cisco had the idea, and he's like, you have to do it, because I can't break these rules. <laughs> I I got a pension I got to worry about, but you don't. Another little thing that I, I thought was fun is that because it was O'Brien who who had the aphasia symptom first, there was that one line that he has that they do it where they tease that it's fixing to happen about something about Keiko and uh, Jake. And he says something. And both times I watched it, it didn't level to me because I just assumed he was using some sort of Irish brogue or using yes. some sort of like cockney slang and like at some point i would i would wanted one of the like they just go chief o'brien we don't understand you and your cockney slang okay just talk like a normal person like he had too much synthahol yes too much synthahol yeah (laughs) that's what i got (laughs) yeah i fell asleep both times i was watching this episode And I, I tapped out. Oh, you, you ran out of juice? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Well, I had a couple of additional points about this episode. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we're supposed to learn something about the Quark and Odo dynamic, but it, that part seemed to really fall flat for the, for me. I don't know what this, this episode was trying to... I think they were trying to do some character development with Odo and Quark in this episode, but I felt like it really felt flat and it didn't actually it, like move the ball down the field at all. Uh-huh. Yes. Don't you Oh yeah. Yeah, like, oh well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the Vulcan neck pinch on this guy in the bar. <laughs> yes. And I think it we came really close to getting a, a description of the how Dabo is played, and then they, they pussied out of it right at the end when they're like, I don't have time to learn about Dabo and I was like Right. That's the only interesting thing that would come out of this episode. Oh yeah. It was like Odo admitting he masturbates or something. Like I never <laughs> He's so meek. <laughs> um, I, 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 never, I never learned, learned how to dabbo. 
Well, and that's the thing is that that's actually one of the things that I would have, that's my thing of the week that I would change with this particular script is I don't believe for a minute that Odo being the great detective that he is, doesn't understand how the gambling works in that establishment. (laughs) Yeah. How does he understand the graph? It's wrong for the character. Because if he doesn't That's understand... That's why he feels like he got caught masturbating, because it's something he should know, and it's, like, embarrassing. But it's an actual hindrance to him doing a good job at his job. So, like... Yeah, how is he going to know if people are cheating if or be- if he doesn't know the rules? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, just look up a tutorial on YouTube or something. <laughs> it's easy. Go to the Dabo uh, life hack section. <laughs> you, you know there is. If Bajor has the internet. Oh, there probably is, now that I think about it. <laughs> We'll put that on the Tumblr if there is that. that so that was kind of that rain kind of false to me that he wouldn't actually know how to play Dabo. You know, I'm sure he knows. I'm sure he would know the rules. Right. Also, I I find it like, are we supposed to believe that Quartz Bar is just a part of his sort of financial income? More like a money laundering scheme, like, you know, like the the Bada Bing was in The Sopranos, where he's got money coming in from other off-book sources that just sort of, he's using that, it's, it's laundering that for him. Which is what I always thought, is that he was in all kinds of crap. And so three days of no business doesn't look that bad to him. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's a great point. I think the writers don't know what he's supposed to be. Because as it goes on, and there's other episodes later on the series where he's got some scheme, but I feel like they don't know what the hell's going on with Quartz Bar. Like, <laughs> does he pay rent to the Federation or the Bajorans, I guess? Yeah, I just assumed that he was like a gangster, you know, who was, if you needed drugs or you needed prostitutes or, you know, you need any of the, he was running the black market. And the the shop was just sort of his friendly face to, like, keep that afloat. Right. If he really is just, like, a booze and craps table guy, I mean, why is he the biggest threat on the ship to Odo? Like, <laughs> Right. I think that's just the writer. Like, they wanted him to be that. And then after, like, oh, wait, we have to make him likable. We can't make him that bad a guy. Oh, I guess this is before the... Age of difficult men on television where we can love murderers and shit. So, like, they are like, we can't make him a gangster. Right. Yeah, I just... (laughs) Wait a minute. You're saying that Quark would have benefited a lot from, like, Tony Soprano. If Tony Soprano came before Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Quark would have been a completely different character. He would have essentially been the the little Stevie Van Zandt uh, character. I would admit my previous statement that this is the greatest television show, show ever. This we'll say this is the greatest pre Sopranos. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that works pre Sopranos. Well, <laughs> it's still a little hyperbolic, maybe. This is the greatest Star Trek series. <laughs> this is the show we're most interested in talking about on this podcast, right? Um, <laughs> right, the greatest show that we wanted to have a podcast about. Exactly. I don't know. I want Quark to be this more interesting character, especially if they built him on like the saloon keeper from a western town. But to me now, that's Al Swearingen from Deadwood, and Quark is a, is quite a bit like is like the Disney version of that, right? And yeah. yeah, no, I mean, isn't he running schemes to like smuggle shit into like, other quadrants? And isn't don't they even entice him at a point where we just opened the wormhole and there's a lot of business to happen in the wormhole through people smuggling people through the wormhole? Like, I just assumed that Quark was like the good face of a pretty ugly empire. But I don't know. I don't know. These kind of shows, it, it, it bothers me. And especially that I know that they do go there eventually. But you have to sit through these like episodes early on where they're just scraping at the surface with like a fingernail. Right. You know, like go a little deeper into this. Another place it could have gone deeper is Kira actually wrestling with the fact that this virus that's going to kill everybody on the station was built by her people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that that seems like it wasn't even uh, like there was no she didn't wrestle with that at all. I guess maybe it's because she grew up in a world where. You know, she was a freedom fighter and she saw her people get, you know, their hands dirty no matter the cost. I don't know. Yeah. But they should have dealt with that somehow. I felt like that was a missed opportunity, too. 
Yeah, like she wouldn't care if it killed Kardashians, but she's still got to have some like recognition of the fact that the whole plot it seems like a plot in like a like there was a it's a boring plot and there was way too much of it. So like everybody's running around shouting their lines at each other and people are getting taken out of the script at like each act where you lose Bashir, you lose everybody. So at the end of it, it's just Odo talking to the Ferengi and uh, Quark and uh, Quark because he's got a strong constitution. Right. <laughs> yeah, the Ferengi immunities. <laughs> right, because Cisco passes out like a little girl immediately after he gets sick. Oh, yeah, yeah. You notice? Yeah. He finally comes down with it and then he immediately passes out. Right. Whereas everybody else powers through and talks gibberish for a while. He's like, <laughs> even Jake was. It's so funny how the virus affects people depending on how much the show's creators like them. <laughs> so, like, so, you know, O'Brien goes first, then Dax, yes. and then, you know, down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, the show's creators likes Odo. And uh, Quark the most. Yeah. And that's why they're the last one standing. But, um, no, that, I feel like this was a missed opportunity on a bunch of different fronts. Mm-hmm. Getting to deal with the Cardassian and Bajoran conflict is, is just one of them. Yeah. And here we are again. Here, we're right in front of the wormhole that's holding space gods. <laughs> and for like the third episode in a row, they don't come into play at all. Yeah, no, or even mentioned. No talk about space gods. Yeah. Yeah. The scientists that they get to solve it he's like oh you're on that space station that the Cardassians used to have that old mining space yeah yeah the one next to the wormhole that's like saving your planet yeah. from economic you know failure exactly yes <laughs> that, that scientist doesn't get the papers it's <laughs> like hasn't, his hasn't, universe hasn't been reading the news well, well, he's right at his desk to take phone calls because she calls and he's like immediately, what do you need? And he, he's right in front of the desk and right like that's a very TV thing. Right. You know, they even had a perfect opportunity to bring that up as like, oh, he didn't even mention the wormhole. He went straight to the Cardassians. He must know something. That would have been a way to do it. Just but. little things could have worked this episode. Actually, James, if you think about it, I'm at my desk like right now, and in 2015, if you called me up on Skype, I'd be right here to it. Like, <laughs> it's, it makes much more sense in 2015 than it does in 1993. Yes, it you know does. what I mean. It, it does to it, answer calls at your desk. Oh, uh, so, and one more thing that was on my mind that I was thinking of that I, how does and maybe you guys know this because you guys just know Star Trek better than me. How does the universal translator system work? Yeah. Is it like <laughs> how uh, magic? Was, what? No, I thought it was like a nano technology, like where it's actually implanted into your like brain somehow. I don't think so. So why couldn't it translate the aphasia? Because it had to do with perception. Right. Yeah. No, they explain that when they explain the aphasia. They're like, well, it's your brain changing this thing. It's the brain being aphasic, not the translator. So it well, makes sense I mean, I understand that that, I, because aphasia is like a real thing. And, I, you know, like I've had the family members have issues with that. It happens with strokes and stuff like that. But like if it's I, I assume that the nanobot translators are working with intent, right? This alien is trying to say this and I can. Tr- right. Well, there's no, they don't. They're not telepathic. They just know every language so well that they can translate it. So it has to be languages. No. It has to be formal languages. It's not just looking at. But it has to. But if it fits into the language structure that it can identify. Okay. There's a Next Generation episode where the translators don't work because they have something that's not a regular language or any identifiable way that language is created so that it can't do it. That's right. I forget exactly. But there's precedent. Yeah, this, this episode was pretty much awful and doesn't give us a whole lot to work with one of the bright spots for me was the relationship between jake and uh, his dad i thought that was you know there wasn't a whole there isn't a whole lot of examples on tv where you see like a dad being tender towards his son touching him as much as cisco is to jake mm-hmm. yeah it was like a touching yeah touching him yeah. hugging him and like i mean i liked that it. it was a good moment I mean, it's yet again avery brooks is making decisions yeah to work with things that he yeah that's true you know because he's like rubbing his ears and stuff and that's like something i would do with my son if i was 
talking. You know, I come from a family of touchers, so I assume the the Cisco's are that too. And so, like, I no, I like that moment a lot. It was, it was. Yeah, I did. I did too. It felt very real. <laughs> yeah. See, I come from a family of not touchers. Of not touchers, so it makes me real uncomfortable. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, my mom, yeah, okay. but like my father, no, we do not express emotion to each other. That's that's gross. I uh this is going to be totally weird. I st- when I like when my dad leaves or I you know, we kiss each other on the lips. I still kiss my son on the lip. Yeah, see, I don't kiss my mom on the cheek. We hug. I'll hug the shit out of my family, but kissing them, no, no, feels weird to me. But, you know, that's probably my own issues. <laughs> Yeah, so James basically would be really comfortable in the in the Cisco home. I would be, man. <laughs> it would be all. Uh, it would be lots of jambalaya, you know, because his because fa- the grandfather is. Uh... Yeah, the food we can do, but no, that would be great. I would love <laughs> Cisco. <laughs> but I don't. I don't ever actually remember. I can't recall in 2015 a show on the air that shows genuine affection between a man and his teenage son. That's true. Yeah. Let alone a. You know, people of color. Oh, that's true. That's true. Can you guys? Um, I don't know. It's kind of revolutionary in that way. You've got an African-American man and like raising a son and being able to show that much outward affection. I don't feel like I see that very much. Like, I'm like, that's really nice. No, I've probably like a hand on the shoulder on the Cosby show or something. That's about as much as you get, right? Yeah, yeah. And usually on like sitcoms and stuff, the kids are played for laughs. So they're like the, like I'm thinking of, because you said an African-American family. So I'm thinking of like the three episodes of Blackish I've seen. Yeah. And the kids are just all used as comic relief. But I don't know, like what about the, the guy from the Walmart commercials and Lawrence Fishburne? Do they like, I, I don't know. There may be some scenes where they like touch, but I don't think it's like face to face intimate touching like you see on this episode. And yeah, I don't think it so. seems very organic and very real. Yeah. So I think it's a unique aspect of the show. I don't know. No, I agree. I totally agree. Yeah, I, no, it's it, good. It's, um, it's a good. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good thing on the show. Like I wish, and I think that you know, in my story of Avery Brooks is bored, like that. He's because I know that he there he did go on record as saying that he chose to do that, the touching, um, and the affection, and he even goes so far. This was on a memory alpha where he goes, uh, he's like, no, I, uh, I, my parents were t- like my my parents were hugged in physical contact, and when I s- still see, well, what's his name, the the actor, when I still see, mm-hmm. I still Ciroc. it's a, when I still see Sirac, I hug him and and touch him. It's what he said. <laughs> so, like, I'm like, oh, okay. So he takes it a little further, but like, yeah. But, but yeah. that was his. I mean, like, I think I and I think that I'm getting through a lot of these like things that I'm reading on Memory Alpha that um, Avery Brooks has a f- strong familial attachment to Zorak still. So yeah, I think that all comes through. That's cool. Yeah, that's that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a couple other things. Uh, there were two references to Ren and Stimpy in this episode. What? Um, <laughs> because there are two ref- uh, there are a reference to two episodes of Ren and Stimpy because the writers' room got were so contentious with each other through the first few episodes that they would take breaks as like team building and watch episodes of Ren and Stimpy. Wow. Okay. Could you explain the references? Because I am curious. The uh, the professor that uh, Kira Stoll's name was, um, give me a second here, Sumak Ren. So Ren. Okay. Uh, and then um, the Cardassian that's mentioned. Please tell me his name, Stimpy. Is, uh, Go- no, no, <laughs> Gold Stimpy. <laughs> no, Gold Sumpco. Oh, Spumpco. Which I guess is a. Spumpco. Gold, gold Spumpco. Yeah, that's John Crick of Lucy's uh, company. Yes, so... Uh, so Spumpco is still pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, Gold Spumpco. Um, and in the Q episode we'll be coming to in the next few weeks, there is reference to a planet Hoek. Oh, Ren's last name. Oh, okay. Yeah, Ren Hoek. So that's, that's as interesting as it gets, buddies. <laughs> I was saving that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clearly. Well, yeah. Man, that was... <laughs> so, yeah, I don't... Uh, ooh, this episode. 
Yeah. What a dog this episode was, wasn't it? <laughs> I hate this fucking episode, man. This is so bad. Like, it was so boring to me. And, and it was also... This so bad. <laughs> it makes you think maybe you don't like Star Trek after you started a podcast about Star Trek. Well, in the middle, my wife was watching, because she watches the first time I watch it, she watches it with me. Oh, well, that's nice. Uh, or she has been the last few weeks. And so halfway through this, uh, at some point, I was like, I just said to her, I'm so bored with this episode. She's like... <laughs> Why are you doing Deep Space Nine for a podcast? <laughs> right. And it was the wrong time to ask me that. I was like, I don't know, honey. Yeah. <laughs> I'm locked in. I'm locked in, yeah. So she got me on a weak point there. Yeah. No, God, this episode is so uh, absolutely boring and absolutely <laughs> uninspired. And and But, like, if you remember, it seems like every season of Star Trek has these kind of, like, the whole the whole creative process was, damn it, we have to write twenty two of these things exactly, right, yeah. and at best we got thirteen good ideas, right. and that's the best you can hope for for any show is thirteen good ideas, right? So they're like you, you know, pick one off the sea pile of ideas and you got to write it. All right, what would you do to fix this episode? Let's say, let's put on your writer's hat for a second. Say, I can't change the plot. I can't change the overall plot. I got to. No, no, you, you, they get a, the phagia virus. What do you do to make it more interesting? <sighs> Wade, anything? You got anything? Um, I would uh, talk about how it's going to affect trade with the wormhole. And, mm-hmm. but, but a lot of my things that I want, I have to do with the arc of the season, but. They're still stuck in like that anthology episodic each episode by itself. Yeah. At this time in television, that it's hard for them to do that, I guess, because they have to have it self contained. I would have brought the wormhole into it or something. I don't know. That's that's all I got. Yeah, I think the wormhole more interesting. No, I think that's a good point. Like if you're if you're a writer on this show and you've got a big dog like this throwing the wormhole at it. Is like the wormhole could be your lifeline no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. What do you think, James? What would you have done? Well, the biggest flaw I think in it is that there's no. Typically, the best of the shitty episodes at least gives you a character to focus on. Like, how many shitty Next Generation episodes are there about data? Yeah. But you get through them because it's data. But this, whatever they chose, they chose to write a different character per act, it seems. Right. Like, you know, it's O'Brien, and then it's Bashir, and then it's Cisco, and then it's uh, Kira, and then it's Odo and Quark are sort of the main characters. So at each point you shed... So you spend the first ten minutes almost exclusively with O'Brien, and then you never see him again. He's in a coma. And I think that was sort of what they were wanting, is getting the you know, shuttling the cast members out of commission, but I, you lose the thread there. You know, like I don't, there's right. no, you know, you can't even walk away from it saying, I think I got some really good characterization and I know O'Brien better as a character or I know Kira better as a character. There's none of that. So you're just left with, I don't know, you know, everybody had some scenes and the plot was, it was like a relay race where each person took the baton, but it's a crappy baton, you know, and so it made it to where the episode can only be about the plot line. And that's totally uninteresting. <laughs> so there was no, like, question. I mean, the the drama is, let's not die. Or the weirdo who's going to blow up the ship because he can't get his thing out of the docking ring. That's the drama. <laughs> and it, you don't even know why he's acting so irrationally. So you don't. It's just things are happening and everyone's having to deal with it. But there's no... I'm not, yeah. It, so what I would have done was I would scrap that whole idea. It, this is an O'Brien episode yeah. or a yeah. Bashir, whatever, whoever you want to focus on. That's actually a really good idea. That you just stay with it, you know? And you can make it like where O'Brien in the whole fifth act has to solve everything while speaking in, Cock- in his Cockney brogue, <laughs> like where nothing's making sense. And he has to, or they have to learn how to communicate in, like with charades or something where they have to like, yeah, because once they get the virus, they're just, they don't contribute anything else. Yeah, if they had to, like, if they had to somehow learn how to solve it without communicating verbally mm-hmm. or something, that would have been the way to go. You can imagine at the end of it, by the fifth act, O'Brien's got to solve everything and get the guy, he's got to get 
information to Kira, and he's like having to charade and pantomime everything, and he's dying from this flu. Like, and he looks all yeah. sweaty and black eyed, you know, like he looks awful. Like at the end, you see, him, and then like that cuts to whatever, you know, star date, we fixed the problem, and you seem recovered. You know, there's like a, you felt like you went on a journey with O'Brien. Yeah, that's, that's the how to make this episode better. Yeah. That would be the one thing I'd say, but you are given nothing in this show. <sighs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, I think we pretty well covered it, this uh, piece of shit episode, as best we could, don't you think? <laughs> yes, we did. I think we've talked about this episode more than anybody ever has ever. <laughs> Do you think? You, well, better days are ahead of us. Um, yeah. The next episode is the episode where someone comes, the hunter and the prey come through the wormhole. I love that episode. It's called Captive Pursuit. I believe that's the next one. Awesome. Oh, they're back to the wormhole, see? Yeah, and the first people, we meet the first aliens from the Delta Quadrant. Awesome. So that gives us something to look forward to next week, right? Yeah, hopefully. Yes, and then we have a Q episode coming up, which I don't know how people, how do you guys feel about Q? I don't know. Oh, we'll unpack that in a couple weeks. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have to unpack Q as he comes. Yeah. All right, guys, what do you think? Should we wrap it up? All right. Yes, we polished this turd. I think so. (laughs) Yeah. Turd is as shiny as it's going to get, and it's all over my hands. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) All right. All right, the end. Thanks for listening. Yes. Please follow us on Twitter at AcquisitionPod. No kickers podcasts actually. And on Tumblr at the rules of acquisitionpodcast.tumblr.com. Send us an email at rulesofacquisitionpodcast at gmail.com. You can turn this off now. So there we go. That was Babel, uh, an infamous episode, I guess, of Deep Space Nine. At least for us, I feel like going through the whole ROA archives, like going even until to the last season when we're like, oh, this episode was horrible. And like, well... I mean, there's no Babel, or Babel gets brought up over and over again as one that we think is ranks among the worst, I guess. So uh, maybe it still does, maybe it doesn't. I, I'll get into a lot of the things I found interesting just listening to it. I took meticulous notes on this like I did watching Deep Space Nine episodes of uh, listening to me talk about the Deep Space Nine episodes, like, though... Early on, I feel like in the podcast, I didn't take as many notes for good or ill, maybe ill. Uh, I feel like later, DS9, ROA, I'm taking so much notes that I'm like doing a almost like a plot synopsis beat by beat of it. And that has its benefits and its drawbacks, I think. I think maybe it's nice just to talk about our impressions more instead of trying like, yeah, people that if you're listening to a podcast on it, you probably have watched it. You don't need the plot broken down, uh, but maybe you do. Maybe, uh, I don't know. Uh, the intro robot voices in it, like the way that we did those kind of changed over the course of the show, didn't it? And this one, it's, yeah, the aphasia robot. I like that. Early on, it's funny, again, like how much we're just like, oh, we're we're not combative with each other, which is a, a, a hallmark of these early episodes of the ROA. I think I say early on, I was, it's a reminder of the show being of its time in the 90s. And unlike later episodes of the, the ROA, I don't get any pushback on that. You know, it turns into later, I feel like we get into the, yeah, you know, you have to just take it as a thing as the 90s. And then I get more of an eye roll. It's like, well, why can't I just enjoy it or not enjoy it? I don't care if it's of its time. I just don't like it. It's a uh, position that gets taken later on. Not by me. I'm the guy that keeps harking on how (laughs) TDS9 is of its time. But I'm not here. I mean, it's just me talking to you now in my own bathroom by myself. Felt, feels very masturbatory almost, but I'm not here just to shit on James and Hugh, uh, especially if these are early episodes. It's like, ah, <laughs> now that I've got control of the podcast, it's here for me to let out some of my grudges. No, that's not what I'm doing here. Um, early on, it's also funny, just uh, I, going through these uh, remix episodes, certain things come up that are kind of hallmarks or things that we do a lot like uh we'd get a lot of these malapropisms 
either in unintentionally, most of the time unintentional, sometimes, we, but uh, like, for instance, in this one, early on, Hugh calls them Kardashians, and we don't bat an eyelid, partly just because the keeping up with the Kardashians like feels like such an easy joke. I was like, oh, I'm just going to let it go. And then partly just let it go because we know what he means. But when Hugh called them the Kardashians, I, I I thought that was funny. Then later on in this, I, James referred, not that you throw James under the bus, but he does a lot of these too, like where he calls them Brian Braga instead of Brandon Braga. You know, <laughs> Michelle Nichols. <laughs> that was that was, that still makes me laugh. Uh, Hugh calling it a show with obligations. I feel like that comes back. Oh, the gibberish. The story of why the gibberish and how the guy wrote it, that was interesting enough. Um, <laughs> another thing that made me laugh is James uh, calls this, oh, this is Ira Stephen Bear's story. He's the showrunner at the time. He didn't really do a lot of sh- scripts. And he, <laughs> well, like, well, one, he's not the showrunner. Two, I think James says that he doesn't really do a lot of sh- scripts going forward. It's like, uh... He's the principal showrunner, and a lot of these scripts going forward, he's very involved later, and he's not the showrunner now. Uh, so that, I guess that was just not right. Uh, James calls it his first credit on a script, and not much after uh, that. Uh, how wrong we proved to be there, and nobody called him out on it. Uh, Kira's fine for James in this. Thank you, calls out. So Hugh thought she was pretty good, so we don't have any complaints about Kira in this one. That's another things we do early on in the ROA. We kind of dog on some of these like characters that we grow to love a lot, our favorite characters in a way, like Kira f- for sure in later seasons. Hugh still is there for her. Me and James are a little bit uh, not as we're a little more critical, but you know. But hey, if this is your first time listening to it, it's cool. We come around. Same with Terry Farrell. In these early episodes, we're pretty rough on her, but in this one, we're just happy to have sex positive Dax back because that's the best Dax. And in a couple of these ep- early episodes, she's been kind of a scold, which is not great, but uh, sex positive Dax is great. Um, we do a lot of talking about what Quark still, does he pay rent or what? It was a question I asked, like, oh, like the show doesn't answer. It's like, well, actually, later on, hold your horses there, Wade. Uh, we do know that he does pay rent or he's supposed to pay rent and he's got a sweetheart deal for Cisco because the Federation doesn't care about that stuff. But we don't know that here. The, the writers probably don't know here. It is a little bit harder to figure out what they're doing. And this being a show before the age of difficult men and yeah, Quirk would be a different character post Tony Soprano. Uh, and uh, even in this episode, we're like, okay, this is the greatest show we want to pot about. <laughs> like, in later seasons, I I feel like I'm struggling to sit talk about this is the greatest show of the 90s, and sometimes I do it a little bit more tongue-in-cheek, and it's, it starts up here on this kind of dog of an episode, as we call it. And this is this is another thing. We're just starting. This is 2015. We, uh, he says this makes sense to be stuck at a desk in 2015. It like just goes to show how far back it was when we were recording these. Seems like such a simpler time taking a call at your desk back when like when we started the podcast doing four years of this I feel like yes I'm a I'm a Star Trek expert I've I've been on panels you know about Star Trek and you know when I talk to other podcast people I'm like yes I'm a Star Trek expert I've done a podcast for like four years on it so in this episode I feel like we're not as much and going into it we were okay with that like look we're more interested in telling the story and critiquing the show on that sense but uh even when i'm pointing out like oh you know there's a tng episode that does something with uh the universal translator i don't remember like now being an expert like oh you you dork come on what kind of star trek fan are you i've felt myself talking to myself in my brain because of course it's Garmok and Jalad at Tanagra. That's the episode I'm talking about. The fact that I'm doing a podcast on it and I'm, I can't bring that immediately to mind makes, like, I guess I'm a bad Trekkie at this point, which is, in some ways, I kind of miss that. But now I can't I can't put uh, all that back in the box. It's, Pandora's box has been open. I guess I'm a Star Trek nerd now. And, you know, that's fine. 
the the rubbing suns and how affectionate Cisco is. That's an also an interesting thing to revisit now. Like beginning of a kind of a running um, it little joke that I had going through the podcast, and I don't know how much it's obvious to everybody else. Like my uh, my daddy issues where I'm uncomfortable and kind of is getting started here. Like I've got a fairly good relationship. No, dude, seriously. No, I, I'm very, I, me and my dad are fine. We are, but I'm not that affectionate. But now I have a son of my own and the whole like, oh, I don't, I don't kiss my mother. Really? That's fine. I'm just not that kind of affectionate. My family doesn't kiss each other. Uh, and I'm still that way, but now I have a son and he's, he's a very cute baby and adorable. And okay. I was like, maybe well, now I'm getting all uncomfortable, like with the idea of like, oh, well, how do I, how do I approach this? I, I think I'm a pretty affectionate dad at this point, and I hope this remains so. But I don't know if I'll ever be kissing my son on the lips like James does with his dad, that, which is, you know, fine. But I'm just still a little bit repressed. But the, there's a there's a few canceled names that come up in this episode. We like talking about. Uh, Black Fathers, Cosby comes up. It's like, I guess he was, we knew what was up with Cosby at this point. Like, you know, Hannibal Burris had been talking about it, I think, at this point. But he wasn't quite, well, he wasn't arrested and in jail at this point. So, man, really different eras, isn't it? Uh, James refers to uh, Blackish and that guy from the Walmart commercials and Lawrence Fishburne. I mean, it's Anthony Anderson. He's a very famous actor. That's the name of the guy. I've watched. I've watched pretty much all of Blackish by this point as well in the four years since we recorded this. And their dynamic is also. It's more like uh, my father and myself, where they're, they're not affectionate overly, but they love each other. And you know, it'll be like, oh shit, I I guess I have to admit that I love you, son. Is kind of like no, that's closer to my relationship with my father than, uh, say, for instance, uh, James and his, and. Speaking of canceled people, uh, all the Ren and Stippy references, John Crick of Lucy, it's also since been canceled because he was a creep. Don't need to look that up. It's not great if, you, if you're into animation, though. I think at this point, I think Hugh and I both were Kickstarter backers of a short that he did about canned meat or something. I don't remember. But, you know, he's since been, uh, he's not as a, he's a more of a persona non grata at this point. And, uh, I think, I think you and I are probably still okay with that. Um, oh, and then we get to the end of this episode and James is like, oh, I hate this fucking episode. And we get the Hugh references, hey guys, maybe I don't like Star Trek anymore. And it's like, oh man, four episodes in and we are already this gets started as a joke now, starting off, cause, and then I think we say, well, we're locked in now. Oh, yeah, there's no going back, like we've been at this forever. It's like, it four episodes in. We probably could have just bailed at this point, and uh, nobody would have noticed, because we wouldn't have grown a listenership, and you wouldn't be listening <laughs> to me talk about this now if we'd bailed it. For, and I'm very glad that we didn't. And, you know, if, yeah, once a week for four years and yeah i'm very proud of that even though doing these remixes we're not quite as regular because hey like, i don't know if i mentioned it i had a kid and so yeah i'm gonna be that guy who keeps bringing up his kid because he's adorable he's great uh and then we get to a segment of the show that later seasons of the roa kind of fell off like after season four we we're like no the show's too good there, what can we do with the how would i fix it segment the show's too good for that, so we just left it behind. And then we get into season six and seven. I kind of regret that we didn't bring that segment back more often because four and five are pretty spoilers for DS9. Four, seasons four and five are probably, we agree, and in hindsight is probably the uh, height of the show at its power. I don't know, maybe going forward doing these remix things, especially when we get the later seasons, uh, bringing back the how would we fix it segment might be a good way to change up some of these commentary tracks. That's maybe a segment we could bring back in and some an added addendum to some of these episodes later on. But uh, I really like it here. Like James is pointing out that if you had a point of view character that you followed through it and made it their story, 
I can't can't disagree with that. Sounds great. <laughs> At the end of the episode, it's made me laugh. It's like, well, we've talked about as much about more than anyone ever has about the DS9 episode Babel is something. <laughs> said, nope, there's no way we could have possibly take, talked any more about it, which is kind of extra funny to me because this is this is a real short podcast, guys. Like, this Babel episode is only, it's under 35 minutes. <laughs> so to say that we exhausted it, I'm sure uh, out of the myriad of uh, Star Trek podcasts out there. And and thank you for listening to this DS9 podcast, by the way, instead of all those other guests. You probably listened to three or four of them. That's fine. But hey, I'm, I'm real glad you listened to this one. But I bet they've talked more than 35 minutes about Babel. I bet there's a three-hour episode somewhere out there where they do just talk about Babel. But I think we talked about it about as much as we could handle it. <laughs> but hey... Maybe I've talked well more than I needed to on this commentary track. How about that? I don't know. Uh, really bad in the run time, Wade. Would you just get it over with? But like we pointed out at the end of this podcast, we got something to look forward to next week, which is, uh, I think it was the Tosk episode. Is that the one that we were talking about? I don't know. I don't remember. But I remember that one being pretty good. So maybe, well, I probably won't be the guy talking about it then. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to go through all of this stuff. Yeah, I don't... Let's see. Any closing thoughts about Babel? Oh, the the outros. Uh, that's another thing. I kind of feel bad. Like, we just kind of insult you for listening to a Star Trek podcast. And Okay. <laughs> I, hey, but y'all did. And I'm, uh, I'm happy that you listened to me ramble thus far, talking to myself. Yeah. All right. Uh, do all the regular stuff and uh, tell us what you think. Uh, we st- still do voicemails. Um, we're still doing a lot of stuff. Uh, we just opened up the Patreon. If you're not a Patreon supporter, for instance, uh, Watchmen, we had a, the Hashish and Superiority Book Club. We did a uh, Patreon series where we went through Alan Moore's Watchmen, the comic. We opened that up. Now there's that HBO show that I don't think James and Hugh, I don't know if they're watching it. We have some pretty strong opinions about that. Like, it's probably that show shouldn't exist, but I kind of like it. But I don't know. Maybe I'm canceled. I don't. Anyways, if you're an Alan Moore fan and you want to hear us talk about Watchmen, the comic, go check out the Patreon and uh, check that out for free. And then we got all other stuff for paid things, for instance. Uh, yeah. Shout out to uh, Patreon on uh, Podside Picnic is another podcast. I just was on a guest episode for their Patreon talking about Lovecraft. That was a lot of fun, but uh, you have to go donate to them to hear that. So, you know, why not both? Okay, I feel like I've talked enough, maybe more than this podcast was. But thanks again. Okay, I'm going to shut up now. I'm going to go see if I didn't wake up a baby and have a good night, a good afternoon. Um, one to, yeah, be out. It's pretty pathetic that you are still listening. Do you not have friends for a hobby that is not Star Trek podcast related? That is possibly why people are fearful for the future of our society. We believe in you. We know you are better than this. <laughs>